Well, good morning. It is a privilege to be with you guys this morning. Uh, Pastor Mercer, thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank you for leading your church to uh, be such a missional-minded church. Uh, it's just great to be back with Tim and Nan. We've known Tim and Nan for many, many years, been a part of our life, and uh, it's just good to, to see him flourishing in ministry as well and the amazing thing God is doing through Cross Life. I love this series that you guys have been in. I was watching that video though and I'm actually a little hopeful that when we crest that hill of 2020, 2021 is in a more greener space, a greener area. It's, it's not in the desert still. Let's pray for that. But I, I love this series of asking questions, key questions that 2020 brings up in our life. How do we handle these obstacles that are in front of us. And if you got your Bibles today, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, however you access those. I don't know if you can scan the QR code. 2020 has been good for the QR code. It has brought the QR code back. Like it was on the verge, it did, but it is back. So uh, we're going to be in Revelation 3 today. And the question we're going to focus on this morning is simply this. In these times of difficulty, in these challenges, in these moments of uncertainty that you face, What's the opportunity? What is your opportunity? That word, when we think about opportunity, it's probably not what we equate to this year. But what does that word mean? It simply means this. It is the possibility of accomplishing something. An opportunity is the possibility of accomplishing something. It also is an appropriate or favorable condition that would create an opportunity to do something. It's also mean that you are placed in a good position for success. All right, hear those again. Opportunity is the possibility of accomplishment, an appropriate or favorable condition to be placed in a good position for success. I don't think that's 2020. I don't think that's how we would describe what we've walked through these past 11 months, right? But here is the truth this morning. True opportunity often comes at the most inopportune times. You know, it is easy to do good when, when things are going good. It is easy to succeed when everyone is succeeding. Th think about it this way. It's, think about the stock market. You don't make money in the stock market just when everything is going up. You make money by knowing what to buy and sell when things are down. Think about it in sports. The most memorable touchdowns, the most memorable home runs don't come when you have a 12 to nothing lead. They come when you're down in the bottom of the ninth or the last two minutes and they drive your team from a come behind win to take the lead. Opportunity, true opportunity comes at often the most inopportune times. And this is the church we're looking at this morning in Revelation chapter three. It's the church of Philadelphia. And this is not the one in Pennsylvania. It's the one in Turkey years and years ago. And this church was facing difficult times. They were facing persecution. They were facing opposition. And yet when John wrote this to them, this was the only church of the seven that did not receive condemnation, but praise. He said, you have been found faithful. When difficulties came, when trials came, you looked at it as an opportunity. Now, let me ask you this. How do you typically handle it 
when things don't go your way. Let's just talk about maybe yesterday, right? What if your football team didn't win yesterday? How do you handle that? I'm, I'm an Auburn grad, so, I, you know, I can't say anything. We, we got killed yesterday, you know? I, mean, we, I was kind of expecting it, so it, it wasn't like I'm totally upset, but how do you handle it? Do you get grumpy? Are you mad this morning? You're waiting for the new rankings to come out. I grew up in Georgia, and I can say this about UGA fans. There's probably not many here uh, this morning down here, but UGA fans, they can win nine games and then lose to Florida, and it ruins their life, right? I mean, their life is ruined for the year. They start to want to, let's fire our coach. We can win every game, but we lose to Florida, fire, fire them. We just, maybe you get angry when things don't go your way. Uh, Let's make it even more personal. What about when the election outcome doesn't go as you wanted? What about if you don't get the promotion that you thought you deserve or the raise that you were expecting? What about when relationships grow difficult in your life or when failure and other difficulties seem to overwhelm you? How do you respond? This is what the church in Philadelphia was dealing with. This is what this part of this letter in Revelation deals with this morning. And I just ask you a simple question. Do you see these difficulties, these trials as an opportunity or as an obstacle? I think most of us in our initial thing is to, to look at difficulties as obstacles. And I think to answer this question, to answer this question is going to be driven by how we approach these opportunities that are known as difficulties. So let's look at Revelation 3, uh, verse 7 is where we're going to jump in today. And this is the beginning of the letter to the church in Philadelphia. And it says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. This verse gives us the understanding and the groundwork for how to walk through these difficult but beautiful opportunities. He says here that the Lord has the key of David. That through this key, he opens doors and closes doors. And what he opens, nobody can close. And what he closes, nobody can open. This is a beautiful thought because what it means is this. We are going to face difficulties. We're going to face trials overwhelming circumstances in our life. But to know that God has already gone before us to clear the path out and open the right doors and close the other areas of danger to provide us a pathway through these difficulties, that's what he's saying here. That the Lord holds this key and he is going before you clearing the right path. And our role is simply this is to stop trying to break through the doors that God hasn't opened yet and to be faithful in walking through the doors that he has opened instead of trying to shut those. You know, we, we do this in our life, don't we? we? We sometime approach it when we have these choices to make. We, we think of it like the old match game. Like there's three curtains. Pick a curtain and behind two are really bad prizes and behind one is a good prize. And, you know, I gotta be careful of which one I pick I want to tell you this, God has already revealed which way is the best, which curtain has the good prize 
behind it. He has revealed that to us. And all our role is to walk through the open doors instead of trying to open our own way. And all of this, this whole idea of viewing difficulties as opportunities boils down to one word. What's our opportunity today? What's our opportunity in 2020? Our opportunity is obedience. Obedience. And you just kind of, when I say that word, like the, the air is kind of sucked out of the room, right? We're like, oh, that's, we were going in such a good direction, right? And we was having so much fun together. And now you talk about obedience. Because the truth is, when we hear that word, we typically equate it to two things, control and punishment. Like obedience means I'm going to have to do something I don't want to do. And if I don't do it, I'm going to get punished. Control reminds me of this. In, in New York, we have these dog walkers that have 20 dogs, all different sizes, 20 different leashes, and they walk them down the sidewalk. And these experienced dog walkers know how to control these dogs just by barely pulling or tapping on a leash. And they can get this whole group of 20 dogs to walk down like they know what they're, I mean, it's amazing. You can always spot an inexperienced dog walker though, because he's not walking, he's not walking the dogs, the dogs are walking him. He's all tangled up. He's in the middle. They're all going different directions. But we th- when we think about the word obedience, we think we've got to be that good dog. We just got to be on the end of the leash and just go and, and really have no control. We would give up control of our lives. Or we think about it as punishment, right? If I get out of line, God's going to smack me. In, uh, in elementary school, I, went, I grew up uh, in a time when they can do, I can say I almost said capital punishment earlier in the early service. It's not capital punishment in, a, in elementary school. It's corporal punishment that they do in elementary school. But they did mainly, they could paddle you back then. And uh, our principal, Miss Riley, when you went into her office above her desk, was she hung her paddle. Now, it was not a normal paddle. It was made of glass. It had holes in it. And around the handle was wrapped a wire. Now, the, the rumor was, if you were just a little bad, you would just get the normal paddling. But if you were really bad, she plugged it in. And the electricity would get you, you know, when you get the And so it was like this fear of like, if I get out of line, you know, every time the lights would like flicker in the classrooms, we're like, oh, somebody's getting it right now. You know, we, we just had this fear of disobedience. We typically don't look at obedience as a pathway of opportunity, but instead a pathway of suffering and shame. And it's not. It's not. And before we can move into the deeper truths of this passage, we have to come to grips with a true understanding of what obedience means. Because if we just move forward and, all right, obedience is control or punishment, guilt and shame, we're not going to understand rightly the rest of this passage. So here's some few things I want you to know about obedience. Obedience one is this. It isn't a prison. It's a pathway. It's not a prison that God puts us in that we don't get to do anything. It's a pathway. It's like a train, the rails of a train. Those rails provide a pathway through to travel effectively. A train gets off its rails and it's disaster. Those rails are not a prison for that train. They're a pathway. And that's the same in our life. Obeying puts us on the right 
pathway. But uh, obedience also isn't dominance, it's guidance. It isn't somebody just trying to tell you what to do. Listen to me, I, you know, I remember this all the time growing up. I'd ask my parents why to do something and what they say, because I what? Said so. It's like, we just think that's obedience. We don't get an explanation. In New York, our life is very different than where we grew up outside of Atlanta. We don't own a car. Uh, PJ, my son is 22. He is just taking driving lessons right now to learn how to drive. So that, you know, he didn't, at 16, my kids didn't get a license. We take the subway everywhere. We walk, we don't buy groceries for a week. We buy them for a day. Uh, all that, it's just a very different way of life. And I remember when we had gotten to New York, first few months, it was the summer and it's always hot on the subway, always crowded on the subway. This is all pre-COVID. And we, uh, we get down there, subway pulls in, and we see this empty car. And we're like, beautiful. Like, we rush to get on there, and we hear somebody over our shoulder saying, you don't want to get in that car. And we're like, sure, whatever. Like, it's an empty car. It's going to be great. We walk on, the doors close, and we quickly realize that person wasn't trying to tell us what to do. He was actually trying to warn us about something because that car, a subway car is empty for a reason. Usually in the summer, it's empty maybe if it's hot and the air conditioner isn't working. But this one was different for the second reason. Usually a subway car is empty because of the smell that's in the car. And we realized when we got into that subway car that some previous human had left us a gift in that train. And for the next three minutes, our eyes were watering. It felt like blood and tears were coming out of our eyes, trying to just hold our breath for the next few minutes till we could get off of that train and change different cars. And we realized we should listen to these people instead of trying to just do what we think is right. But we do that with God as well, don't we? He tells us something. We think it's, he's just trying to dominate us instead of guide us. Which brings us to the last thing about obedience is this. It isn't forcing you to do something that's actually freedom. You know, think about the words we use as parents sometimes like, don't, stop, put that down, wait. Why, why do we use those words? Not to force our kids to do something, but because we want what's best for them. We're helping to guide them, move them into areas of freedom in their life. And the rest of today's teaching, we have to understand this. If we think of obedience as a prison, dominance, or forcing us to do something instead of a pathway and guidance and freedom, we won't understand it. Here's the here's way I can sum this up about obedience. It's not, it isn't just doing, not doing the wrong thing. It isn't just not doing the wrong thing. It is choosing instead to do the best thing. The best thing. That's obedience. And man, don't we need this in 2020? It's not enough just to make it through life, make it through this year, but what if we made it through more faithful, our lives came out fuller than they were and freer than they were. So let's dive into the rest of the passage and see how this obedience should play out in our life. Revelation 3.8 jumps in and tells us the first thing about obedience says this. He's talking to the church. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. The first thing I want to tell you about obedience is this. 
is obedience connects us to the power of God. To the power of God. What an amazing thought when you look back at that passage and says, I know you. I know your works. <clears throat> the fact that you and I are known by God and known for our good works, our faithfulness that we have been demonstrating. Years ago, I worked at a large church and it was a really large staff and I actually was hired, really never even met the pastor. It was a huge church. And so uh, I was, had been working there about three months and I came in one day and got a buzz on my phone and it says, the pastor is here to see you. And I was like, oh, okay. Like maybe he's making around to meet new people. And, and he walks into my office and he says, hey, Patrick, I've heard about you. And I was like, okay, this is going one of two ways today. Like, it's going to be a good day or I'm going to be calling my wife, Katie, and saying, hey, we are got to find a new job today. Something's going on. But he, he went the next few minutes to say, I've heard about you. I've heard about some of the things you're doing, some of the steps you're taking, and they're great. You keep it up. It's a word of encouragement. And uh, wiped the sweat from my brow, and I was, I was excited uh, to experience that. But that's what he's saying here is, this is God saying, I've heard about you. I know you. I know your works, and they've been amazing. But this isn't just that he knows us or knows about us. It's that our obedience to follow his ways is going to open up certain opportunities in our life. When we connect to him and the power that he offers, remember, he even brings it up again. I'm opening a door that no one will shut. You don't have all the power, but I do. And what happens in our life when, that, when we connect to that power? I think a couple of things happen. One, the power of God through obedience offers the opportunity to establish influence in the lives of others. Influence in the lives of others. Revelation 3.9 says this. He continues, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. When we walk in obedience and we connect to the power of God, this verse tells us it does a couple of things. One, obedience will expose lies, right? He says, those who say they're Jews and they're followers of Christ, I'm gonna expose them. They're really of the synagogue of Satan. They're, they're opposite of what we believe. And obedience, your obedience is exposing that lie. When we walk in the obedience of Christ, it exposes lies. But the other thing it says is they will come down and then bow down to your feet, which tells us that obedience then will elevate truth. It exposes lies and elevates truth. And this is what true influence does. Think about those who you allow to have true influence in your life. Who are they? Hopefully it's people of great wisdom and great discernment. People who by their actions and by their words are elevating truth and exposing lies as they live in obedience. It's the beauty of when we walk in obedience, when we walk through the doors that he opens and stay away from the doors he closes, we are exposing lies and elevating truth. Now this sounds great. Like he does, like I'm gonna expose these people. They're gonna come bow down at your feet. Like you're gonna have influence. Like this sounds really good. Like I'm like, at this point, they're gonna come bow down at my feet. Give me the sword. Like I'm gonna conquer at this point. But that's not what kind of influence he says you get to demonstrate here. 
He says, when, when the lies are exposed and the truth is elevated, this is what they will know. They will learn that I have loved you. The influence he's given us is not an influence of control, but an influence to demonstrate the love of God to others. How do you handle it when you win an argument? When, when things go your way, do you, do you gloat? Do you always say, I told you so? Do you, do you enact revenge or retribution? Or instead, do you show the true godly influence by showing mercy, grace, and love? This is the influence of obedience. It's not control and power. It is grace and mercy and love. And when we connect to the power of God, we will become people of influence, of grace and mercy and love. But verse 10 tells us there's another thing when that happens when we connect to the power of God, that, that this power of God through obedience offers the opportunity to experience not just the power of God, but the provision and the pain of life. It gives us influence, but it also gives us provision in the pains of life. Look what he says in the next verse, verse 10. He says, because you have kept my word with what? Patient endurance. I will then keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. What this verse tells us is this. We're gonna, when we walk in obedience, we're gonna experience a couple of things. When we walk in obedience, we will experience endurance. He says, you have walked with patient endurance. You will, you will push forward. There will be times that there will be trials and you have to sustain through them. You will have the ability to endure. But he says, you will also experience escape. Times of being your hour of trial, you are taken out of that. God comes through for you. God opens a door you never saw, an escape hatch, and you're able to avoid that. Now, can I tell you something about these two things? Endurance and escape. We need both of them in our life. And this is why he's telling us here, this is how provision comes. Whatever you're facing right now, this year, the uncertainty of this year, whether it's job-related, financial, relationship, maybe you've never spent so much time cooped up in the house with your spouse and you're like, I don't even know this person. Who are they? I need some space. Whatever it is that you're facing right now, what challenges you're facing, guess what? God has a time for endurance and also a time for escape. Now think about if all we ever had to do was endure. Like imagine we get to January 1st, 2021, and we wake up that morning and it's Groundhog's Day. And we're back at January 1st, 2020. Like it's just playing over. Like, can you imagine if we had to go through this again and again and again? Like we, we'd be done because all endurance equals weariness. We will grow weary. So you say, all right, if that's the case, then just give me all escape. Like always, God, whenever a difficulty comes, get me out of here. Get me out, get me out. But all escape equals weakness. We never grow in our faith. We never exercise our faith. Provision comes with both endurance and escape. Because when we have some endurance in our life, it gives us the ability to express fruit in our life. 
to put the fruit of the Spirit into action, to show love and patience and kindness and gentleness. Those things, those fruits of the Spirit are best demonstrated in difficult times. But through escape, when we experience some escape, it helps us to grow our faith in our lives. We start to trust God more. We know that he's not going to put more on us than we're able to endure. And so it's beautiful, this provision, the way he dis- distinguishes it here, of both patient endurance and keeping you from trial is a beautiful picture of both endurance and escape that grows fruit and faith in our life. And this is the provision of obedience. And what a beautiful you know, kind of balancing act here that as we see God's power, as we connect with God's power, we're going to experience his provision and then we get to express that through influencing others. So it's provision and then influence. Seesaw, kind of back and forth. We don't always stay in the lows and we don't always stay in the highs. It's this beautiful balance of life. So that's the first thing. When we connect to God through obedience, we connect to his power. But verse 11 tells us what else we connect with. And it's this. Verse, Revelation 3.11 says this. He says, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. What's the next thing that obedience connects us with? Obedience connects us to the person of God. Not just the power of God. Not just that he has some distant, unknowable force in the world that we can plug into. But obedience actually helps us get to know him better. He says, I am coming soon. (coughs) Sorry, it's not COVID. I had COVID in March, so uh, I'm good. But he connects us to this power. Not just the power though, but the person. The person of God. What an amazing thought that you and I can be united with the person of God who is Christ. And what he says is, remember what Christ did. Remember that Christ came and he lived. He demonstrated the peace of God, the person of God, and he overcame death and he resurrected. Beautiful story. And he gave you hope. And this is the crown he's talking about holding on to. He says, don't lose sight. Don't lose grasp of that hope. Don't let somebody seize your prize that has already been won for you. We we sometimes treat difficulties in our life like a carnival game that's always rigged so we lose. We'll never win. We'll get close. We'll try. Spend money, but we never win the big prize. And what this letter is reminding us here is this. this. The carnival game is not rigged against you so you lose every time. It's actually rigged so that you have already won every time. You have hope for every difficult circumstance not just because of the power of God, but because God is with you in it and through it. And this is not just a future hope. This is not just a ticket to heaven that we can experience someday out in the future. This is not just the idea that one day we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when we get to heaven. That is part of it. But it also gets you a front row seat and to experience the character and nature of God every moment of every day. It's not just the end, when we, the end of the ride, it is the ride itself. 
that we get to ride with God and the hope we have every minute of every day. And how does this play out? Let's look at verse 12 as we finish up and it says this. When we connect to the person of God, obedience offers us the opportunity to be a part of the work of God, of his work. Revelation 12, the first part says this. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall he go out of it. This is a beautiful idea that we get, as we become more than conquerors through Christ, as we get to take on the work of Christ, we become pillars in the temple of God and we shall never be taken out of it. And so that tells us a couple of things about our work in God's kingdom. One, our work is vital, right? What's a pillar? It holds up the structure. It holds up, it sustains the work. We didn't have to build the whole thing, but we get to be a part, a vital part of the work of God. But it also says it will never be taken out, which means that our work for the kingdom is eternal as well. It's a vital and eternal. Now think about that for a minute because each of us get to play a part. If you're part of the kingdom of God, you get to play a part in the work of God. And that's a beautiful idea, but it's an often an idea that we get confused about because here's what we think sometimes. Okay, God wants me to do some work for him. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm not gonna do the work of God. I'm gonna do the work. I'm gonna do God's work for him. I will take on the role of God. And we like to take on the role of God in God's work, but instead what we should do is take on the role God offers us in his work. I don't get to become God. I get to become an instrument of God's grace, of God's mercy, and God's hope. And and this isn't about doing more, feeling guilty about not doing enough, or just onward Christian soldiers more and more and more. It's actually about playing our role in how he describes what is our work. It's that we get to be a part of the redemption and restoration of all things. That's part of our, and then he tells us we get to be his trophies of grace. That we get to be his grace on display for other people. And then we get to demonstrate or be a mirror of Christ, of Christ's mercy and forgiveness. That's our role in the work. To help redeem and restore as he did with us to to model his grace, to, to mirror his mercy. It's not that we get to do the work of God for him, it's that we allow him to work through us. That's the beauty of connecting with the person of God. I don't get to become God, but I get to become a part of his work. And then the second part of verse 12 tells us the other thing about when we connect in obedience to God as a person, is that obedience offers the opportunity to not just be a part of his work, but to be a part of his family his family. Look at verse 12, the second part. He says, I will write on him then the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven and my own new name. Hear this because this is, this is life-changing for us is that we get to establish our identity by being selected by God. God chose you. He chose you. He says, I will put the name of my God on you. He chose you. You may feel like the 
one who's never chosen. You may feel always left out, abandoned. You may be walking through a time in your life when you feel like every person in this world has abandoned you. God hasn't. He chose you. He selected you to be a part of his family. So he establishes our identity by selecting us, but then we get to experience identity through him, through his salvation. Not just through his selection, but his salvation. He says, I will write on him. We get our own new name. Your own new name. My identity isn't determined by my ability to do enough work for God. It's I get to be a part of the work, but it's that he did the work in me as well. Can I tell you how I experienced that in my life? Is that God first reached out for me. When I felt alone, when I felt abandoned, when I felt at the lowest point of my life, God reached out. I didn't have to call. I didn't have to reach up to him and do certain things. He reached down to me. And then when, he, when I reached out for him, he rescued. Or when he reached out for me, then he rescued me. He pulled me out. He didn't get angry at the situation I was in. He pulled me out of that pit. He pulled me out of sin and shame. He rescued me. And then he redeemed me, cleaned me off. He put me back on my two feet, put me back in the right direction and restored my passion for him and the things of this world, the right choices, the the way of living in obedience, choosing the right path. I want you to hear this morning, God is reaching out for you. God is willing to rescue you, to redeem you, and to restore you. And my question for you today as we end is this. Are you listening today for your opportunity to obey? Maybe your opportunity to obey today is to walk through a door that God's opening that you've been hesitant. You, you look at it and you're like, that's not, I wanted this door. And God's saying, this is the best door for you. Or maybe you, your opportunity to obey today is to turn from yourself as Lord and to look to Christ as Lord for the first time in your life. To be rescued, restored and redeemed. To, to know that he can provide enough endurance for you to walk through your trials and he can provide escape for you as well when you need it. Today, will you take a step of obedience even in the most inopportune time? Maybe it feels like in your life the bottom of the ninth, two minutes left and no hope. Obedience today can get you the game-winning hit or the game-winning touchdown. When you feel behind, beaten, out of balance, obedience helps us to experience the opportunity of God's power and presence like never before in our life. Will you take the opportunity today to obey? Let's pray together. Father, it is difficult sometimes to obey. We can be stubborn people. We can be people blinded by our own passions and desires. We can be caught up in circumstances and lose sight of you and your provision. But God, today, will you help us to take a step of obedience? I know in a room this size or people watching online, there are those who have never taken the first step of obedience in establishing a relationship with you. 
So God, would you help us to move from sin to salvation today? Would you help us move from selfishness to surrender today? And God, if we're facing difficult circumstances, help us to push back the tendency to look at them as obstacles and see them as a beautiful opportunity for your power and provision in our life. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.